Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. You can go beyond giving to impact. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. I'm Erlon Woods. I'm Nigel Poor. We're the hosts and creators of Ear Hustle from PRX's Radiotopia. Ear Hustle is a show about life inside prison, but it's not your typical prison podcast. In this next season, we've got stories about the objects people keep inside their prison cells. About residents in a women's prison who say they want to stay there. And the most beautiful prison garden. Erlon, I will never forget it. Ear Hustle. Stories about life on the inside, told by those who live it. Find Ear Hustle wherever you get your podcasts. From WABE in Atlanta, welcome to this Thursday edition of Closer Look. I'm Rose Scott. Now, we'll begin, actually, with the weather that didn't happen there was an anticipation, there was a threat of heavy storms and possible tornadoes moving into the Georgia area, but you know what? It didn't happen. The highest risk for additional severe storms today will be generally along and east of a line from about Athens to Macon to America's Georgia and then um, pushing eastward into the Carolinas. Now that's Ryan Willis with the National Weather Service in Peachtree City. According to the NWS, those in the Atlanta area can expect mostly cloudy skies with highs in the high 50s from now throughout the weekend. And coming up in just a moment, Democratic State Senator Michelle Isle joins me. Now earlier this week, Senator Isle told her fellow lawmakers about the continuing violent attacks on Asian Americans throughout this pandemic. I think sometimes we see it play out in videos. Sometimes it's in Cell phone recordings, sometimes it's footage off of building security cameras, but always it is horrifying. Asian elders being violently, sometimes fatally, physically assaulted. We see octogenarians being shoved to the ground. That conversation is just moments away. And then also with this, President Joe Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris will be in Atlanta tomorrow. Now, both Biden and Harris will meet with leaders and advocacy members of the Asian American and Pacific Islander community. Of course, all this following those fatal spa shootings in Atlanta and Cherokee County, which left eight people dead, including six women of Asian descent. Now, the visit to Atlanta was already planned to tout the passage of the $1.9 trillion American Rescue Plan. And speaking of that plan, Fulton County, the Fulton County Commission, voted to accept the largest relief package in county history as part of the plan. Now, the county formally accepted $206 million. Commissioner Khadija Abdur-Rahman proposed the resolution, which passed by a 4-0 vote. However, the three Republican commissioners refused to vote for the plan at all. Here is Commissioner Rahman. And so this derived out of a need to service the constituents, whether it be in my area in District 6 or all over Fulton County. That's the beauty of this. This was to help the entire Fulton County. And that means the money will go towards assistance for homeowners, small businesses, and pay raises for county employees. The funds will also be used to help the arts community and to create youth summer programs. Meanwhile, here in Georgia, as we turn to our usual daily count of the coronavirus here in Georgia, the number of coronavirus deaths are now nearing 16,000 in Georgia. The number stands at 15,997. The number of new cases continues to rise. It fluctuates now between 800 and 1,100. And yesterday, more than 1,100 new cases were confirmed here in Georgia. Now, this brings the total number of cases since we all started keeping track back last March to 838,570 and 57,636 Georgians in total have been hospitalized. Now, on to this. Today it all begins. Yep, the annual NCAA men's and women's basketball tournaments are getting set. What a difference a year makes, kind of. Now, we know last year there was no tournament because of the coronavirus, and this year it's different because of the coronavirus. And multiple credible news media outlets are reporting Georgia Tech basketball star and ACC Player of the Year Moses Wright will not play in tomorrow's first-round game of the tournament. Now, this comes after Georgia Tech reported One member of its travel party tested positive for COVID-19 without identifying the individual. 
The team nor Georgia Tech Institute will confirm that it is Moses Wright, the player, citing HIPAA restrictions, but Wright is not playing and could miss the following game of the tournament only if Tech advances. So that means tomorrow's matchup between Georgia Tech and Loyola Chicago is a little bit more interesting now. So y'all don't have time to change your brackets, so it is what it is. Tip-off is scheduled for 4 p.m. I'm still rooting for Georgia Tech. This is Closer Look. And Closer Look continues now here on 90.1 WABE. This is Atlanta's choice for NPR. As always, I'm Rose Scott. As mentioned, President Joe Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris are expected to meet with Asian American and Pacific Islanders elected and community leaders tomorrow. And as we said, Biden and Harris were already scheduled for this trip to tout the benefits of the American Rescue Plan. And that trip now will include focusing on the eight killed, six who were Asian women, uh, women of Asian descent in the three area spa shootings this past Tuesday evening. And we want to give you an update. We, as far as we know, Elisa's R. Hernandez Ortiz is still hospitalized. At the time of this broadcast, only those killed from Young's Asian Spa in Cherokee County have been identified. They are Delena Ashley Yan, Paul Andre Michaels, Xiao Chi Yang, Dayao Yu Fing. And those were the ones who lost their lives. Now, earlier in the week, it was very interesting because Democratic State Senator Michelle Al told her fellow lawmakers about this increase in crimes against Asian-Americans and Pacific Islanders, particularly Asian-Americans, during this pandemic. And we're going to play you a good portion of this. So take a listen. In the last year, 32 incidents of hate crimes towards our API community here in Atlanta have been reported. This includes one incident in which one customer at a store assaulted another Asian customer, shouting... And I quote, effing nasty, dirty conspiracy Chinese. You're why we got to wear masks, you disease spreading B word. F your people. It includes an incident in a pharmacy where an Asian customer was aggressively sprayed all over her body with Lysol and told, quote, you're the infection. Go home. We don't want you here. And it includes incidents covered last April in the AJC where racist plaques were posted on private property. These plaques read, quote, Wuhan plague and depicted Winnie the Pooh eating a bat with chopsticks below the words. Charming. The thing is, racism against API Americans is not new. Otherization or exoticization of API Americans is not new. Violence against API Americans is not new. Recall that our country once built internment camps for Japanese Americans during World War II simply because our country could not conceive that people who looked as foreign as I do could be trusted to have allegiance to America. The key to social change is participation, especially when you feel that voices like yours aren't always heard. That's why I'm here. That's why I know the senator from the fifth is here, because Asian Americans are an important part of our communities. They are an important part of Georgia. And they, we, are an important part of the fabric of this country. Well, joining me now is State Senator Michelle Ow. Senator, thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Rose, for having me. I want to begin with um, your thoughts. Uh, President Joe Biden ordering the American flags at the White House and all public buildings lowered to have staff to honor the victims. Um, your thoughts on that, that move? I think that's an incredible move of solidarity on the part of uh, President Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris. You know, I think that a lot of what we've been hearing from our Asian American community even before this incident, even before this last year of you know, escalating crimes and violence towards Asian Americans, is that we felt that our communities were not seen and we were not heard. So this is a very clear way that the Biden administration is telegraphing, we hear you, we see you, and we're here to stand with you against hate. And is also that a big part of why this past Monday you wanted to let your fellow lawmakers know it may be hard to believe that they didn't know, but then now we're hearing that a lot of people are saying, well, I didn't know it was that it was that prevalent or it was the the increase. I think I read over 3,800 3, reported incidents. Is that why you wanted your fellow lawmakers to know what was happening? Yeah, Rose, that's exactly why. I think there's a couple of things that I was trying to deal with. One is you're absolutely right. Many lawmakers was not aware that this was a problem, even though it's been really building for the past year. And I know that because many people came up to me after I gave my well speech and said, I didn't know that was going on. Right. 
I think this issue is getting more coverage in the press lately, like over the past month or so, but still a lot of the stories that we're hearing are coming out of cities like New York, Los Angeles, the Bay Area, where there is a higher percentage of AAPI Americans and more people sort of paying attention to it because of that. And I specifically, as a Georgia state legislator, wanted to present this from the well of our state Senate because I did not want Georgia and our leaders to feel that Georgia was immune from these problems just because they hadn't heard about it as much. This is everyone's problem, and I wanted them to hear it from me. And then take us through how you became aware of the spa shootings Tuesday. I think I heard about the spa shootings pretty much, you know, within the hour after um, they happened. It was, you know, around the dinner hour, and I started getting a lot of texts blowing up my phone saying, did you see this? Did you see this is happening? And you read it, and it's really... You know, it shakes you to your core because it is such a shocking act of violence. And it's even different in some ways from some of the incidents we've heard coming out of New York and L.A. because the lethality of this attack was extremely high. Right. And I think we have to look at that aspect of it, too. And we can talk about that more later because Mm -hmm. this was a mass shooting. Mm -hmm. Right. And shootings are more lethal than physical assaults of other natures, you know, stabbings, which we've seen in other cities. This was a your classic American mass shooting. Um, So that was very shocking, but I was not surprised because literally we had just been talking about it. You you don't like to be right about these types of things, Mm -hmm. but you're not surprised when they happen. Senator, what was yesterday like for you? And I know who you heard from. Can you take us through some of those conversations if you can? Yeah, I think it was a very difficult day, right? All of us are dealing with a lot of, you know, the emotions that come with having your community targeted, your community attacked. And um, honestly, you feel in some ways as an Asian American leader who's standing up for these issues that you are carrying uh, a responsibility for your community because you feel in some ways it is up to you to do right by the people that you are representing. So, um, So that's been hard. I think the things that have made it easier is having many of our legislators in the same chamber come up to me and express solidarity, expressing the desire to stand up and speak about these issues themselves, uh, because it is not an Asian American problem. This is an American problem, and this is the problem that we all have to deal with. So part of what I am hoping will come of this, one of the the goods that I hope comes from this, is that other people who aren't Asian will speak out against this because this is how we form coalitions. This is how uh, allies can help amplify the voices of people who have felt ignored and unseen for decades, if not centuries, in this country. I want to follow up on that because you mentioned allies and how important that is now. And, you know, it's, it's very interesting because we went through this last year, last summer as well, Senator, with folks wanting to know, how can I help the black community? How can I be an ally you know, what is my role in all of this if I am not a person of the the black community or the Hispanic community or the AAPI community? How do you respond to those questions? Because I imagine people ask you that. Yeah, I think allyship is incredibly important because we have to understand that not all voices in the society are listened to equally. And I'm just going to give you an example that I found very touching today is that the uh, Senate pro tem, Senator Butch Miller, came up to me in the chamber and he said, you know, I just wanted to talk to you. I haven't caught you since you gave your remarks, but I'm so saddened and shocked by these events. What can I do to help? And I said, honestly, the thing you can do to help is to not just talk to me, but to talk to all our other senators, because it means something different coming from you. Mm -hmm. When it's just me talking about it or just our other AAPI electeds talking about it, sometimes it can feel to others that this is our problem, Mm -hmm. right? It's a niche problem. This is a you guys problem. It is not. So to have it come from voices who are in power, you know, a powerful state senator who is not Asian to speak out and say, this is a problem for all of us is going to mean a lot. And that voice carries, honestly, farther than mine in some settings. And maybe those are the settings that we need to be heard. And you all are obviously so busy right now because we're just we're not that far away from signing die. There's a a lot of measures that are still being debated. That's a whole nother segment. Um, I want to get your thoughts, Senator. How are you balancing that and then being there? personally being there for the community because you just talked about what needs to happen and how you are involved. Now, how are you balancing all of this? Because I want to ask how you are doing. Thank you for asking that. That's really nice of you to, to check in on me like that. 
I think one thing that has helped is that my, my normal, my day job is actually extraordinarily stressful. <laughs> I'm an anesthesiologist. I work in the operating room. So um, my threshold for stress and frustration is actually calibrated pretty high. <laughs> So that has helped because I think a lot of people coming into the legislature, especially as a first year, they find this process and learning this new language and culture extremely frustrating. And I understand it because it's not like anything else that you've done mm -hmm. and things don't happen the way that is necessarily the most efficient that you're accustomed to. That said, this is an unusual um, place to be in. The, the legislature is at its sort of peak right now in terms of the amount that we're supposed to be dealing with. Mm -hmm. So having this overlay of being a leader and being a representative for my community with this incredibly disturbing crime um, having to be dealt with on top of that, it, it is a lot, but you do try to juggle things just like you do for anything else. I have three kids, so this is just <laughs> part <laughs> for the course. right? They'll keep you busy as well. Uh, Senator, yeah. I, I do want to shift for a moment because I want to get your thoughts on this now. Out in Cherokee County in the Sheriff's Department, Captain Jay Baker, uh, he's facing a lot right now. Here's Captain Baker during the press conference yesterday when asked about the suspect, Robert Aaron Long. Take a listen. Um, when I, when we, I spoke with investigators, they interviewed him this morning, and I, uh, they got that impression that, yes, he, he understood um, the gravity of it. And he was pretty much fed up and kind of at the end of his rope. And, um, and yesterday was a really bad day for him, and this is what he did. Uh, I'm not going to go to, I don't know if he was remorseful or not. Now, Senator, that, that, that part of the conversation where Captain Baker talking about long, fed up, having a bad day, your reaction to that first? I find it remarkable in this setting that we insist on coddling and treating with kid gloves people who have admitted to murdering eight people in cold blood. I find that shocking. I find that disgusting. And I think we really need to address how it is that we view through a different lens people who perpetrate crimes uh, on other communities and why we treat them differently than some other some other types of, of criminals. It's it's shocking. Then later in the day, it was revealed a Facebook account belonging to Captain Baker from last year showed a Corona bout. Corona beer style logo on a T-shirt and it read, quote, COVID-19 imported virus from China and, and spelled China, C-H-Y hyphen N-A. Now, to be fair, we reached out to Cherokee County Sheriff's Office. We were told that Captain Baker was not taking calls and we were mm -hmm. transferred to Internal Affairs where we left a message. A closer look producer called back and asked if the Cherokee County Sheriff's Office would release release a statement regarding these claims. We were then transferred to, quote, the sheriff's secretary. A message was left, and then no calls have been returned. Your thoughts, if it is true that this Facebook account belonging to a high-ranking law enforcement official with that imagery on it, and then based on the comments from yesterday, folks making this correlation that therein also lies a problem because with some through their lens with some law enforcement folks how they handle certain situations as it relates to specific communities this is the problem because now we see this side of them if this is true if this Facebook account indeed belongs to Captain Baker and he indeed did indeed post that your thoughts on yeah. all that yeah, and Rose, I, I, I do appreciate you being so prudent and measured in giving the story, but noting that it hasn't been completely confirmed because I do think that it's it's right to be careful in how we talk about these things. That said, what I will say is that this type of phenomenon, it was posted on someone's Facebook page, right? Mm -hmm. It's probably posted on other people's Facebook pages. This is a product that was being sold. This really shows this uh, epidemic that I like to refer to and I'm not talking about COVID-19, I'm talking about the epidemic of racism against Asian Americans that is really endemic in American society. And it's uh, hiding in plain sight. This is the type of thing that it's the type of racism that people find more palatable and more digestible and more acceptable than other types of racism that I guess we've been taught over time is less okay to at least speak out loud in public. For some reason, racism against Asian Americans is accepted in a way that racism against other groups is not. And I think that is something we really need to look at moving forward, because I do think that this is what has been feeding these increasing acts of violence and racism against our, our people. Mm -hmm. 
If you're just joining us, I'm joined by Georgia Senator Michelle Al. Uh, Senator, also, and folks like me in the media, where folks were ch- trying to chastise us. And I'll, I look. I'm gonna take this time just to brag on my WABE colleagues and our producers. You know, we do a job, and I think we do a pretty damn good job. Um, we report the information, what we're told, and then it's our job to then fact check and then take it further and then allow the community to hear all different angles. But your reaction to when we reported what law, law enforcement officials said, they said, he said, the man who admitted to these killings, that it was not racially motivated, that it was due to a sex addiction. And here, you know, one could argue, well, just you don't get to paint <laughs> the narrative around that. So we were reporting that. But law enforcement officials have not. Now, they haven't ruled it out, but they haven't also said, you know, it is not. So your thoughts on all of this? Yeah. Again, I appreciate your prudence in talking about these sorts of things when we ascribe motivations to, to certain crimes. That's it. I will say two things. The first thing is that uh, the population in Georgia is 4% Asian American Pacific Islander. Of the people that the shooter shot and killed, 75% of them were Asian American. And this is spread over three locations, 30 minutes apart by car. Mm-hmm. So if this is random and just some sort of sampling error, that is a remarkable sampling error and he should immediately go out and buy a lottery ticket. So that's the first thing. The second thing is that I want to talk about his attribution to why he says that he committed these crimes. He attributes it to a, quote, sex addiction. So that's for one. And he says that the reason he admittedly shot and killed these people was because he was trying to remove the source of this temptation for his sex addiction. Again, this is a crime that was largely perpetrated against women of Asian descent, as you noted. The fact that we swallow this and that we're okay with hearing about this, like, okay, story checks out. It is a, quote, massage parlor, you know, and we have what fits many people's stereotypes of, you know, a fetishized, exoticized, you know, examples of what we think Asian women should do and be, which is to say that they are subservient, serving, you know, highly hypersexualized, fetishized, otherized, that in some ways his motive and the way that people can swallow it shows just the way that these stereotypes have permeated mm-hmm. and soaked into the fabric of how we look at Asian Americans, especially Asian American women. And you are not the first person to say that, um, and nor in, in this century or, <laughs> you know. Um, Senator, let's talk about then moving forward. Uh, first, let's talk about in terms of Georgia law now. Finally, Georgia had a hate crime to the delight of so many people who had been asking for this and and advocating for it. And correct me if I'm wrong, it does not include gender-based violence as part of that. Am I if I'm incorrect, tell me. I think women are included as a a protected group in the hate crimes law as of as of my last reading. Okay. Is there anything else then that needs to that you think in terms of legislation that could be that needs to be amended or maybe not obviously not this session but next session now we could have a whole nother conversation about weapons and guns and all that and I think that is <laughs> you know but feel free to add if that's what you feel anything else that needs to be added or that's missing with Georgia's current statutes around anything related to this Well, I really want to commend my co-legislators from last year for passing this hate crimes legislation in the first place. Before it was passed, Georgia was one of only four states who still did not have a hate crime law codified in its books. So it's, it's a first step, but it's an important one because it transmits to the rest of the country, not necessarily just what kind of state we had been, but what kind of state we want to be and are trying to become, right? Not all solutions are perfect. Not all of them are going to work immediately the first time. And I think that when we look at hate crime legislation, it's not so much even the fact of having them on the books and what they say, but how do we actually enforce them, right? Mm -hmm. How do we apply them to crimes like this? What does it mean to classify something as a hate crime and how do you prove that in a court of law? 
I think particularly for violence against Asian Americans, and we can argue later, not argue, you know, we can dismiss whether or not this was a racially motivated crime. But um, for hate crimes against Asian Americans, generally speaking, they have been difficult to establish, even in attacks that seem very clearly targeted towards a certain group of people. And that's where and all this argument comes in. Right. Yeah. Because I've heard people say, well, you can't, what happens in one county or a city in, in terms of how they define something racially motivated or just a regular attack or a violent attack or hate attack might be different than what's in a neighboring county or another city. But then you hear folks say, well, we don't want big government coming in and telling us how to do our job. So how do you how do you solve this then? What What is the, the language that needs to be determined? Should there be language then? Specific language. Yeah, I do think we have to look at it more carefully. And I think that we need to get, first of all, more data. You know, I'm always coming at uh, problems from uh, the point of view of sort of science and medicine, which is my my regular, you know, day job. And I think that in order to solve a problem, we first have to be able to measure it and understand it before we start coming up with solutions, because the solutions may be imperfect if we're not working with clear endpoints of what we're trying to find. I think when it comes to hate crimes and discriminatory you know, attacks against the Asian American community in specific, one big problem that we need to address first before we talk about changing the law, putting in specific language, is that people are not reporting these crimes, mm -hmm. okay? So you noted that AAPI hate had uh, recorded 32 reports of AAPI hate over the past year. That is a vast underreporting, right? And we all understand that this is generally the case, but maybe even more so for groups that have a high immigrant population, mm -hmm. people who have language barriers where they might feel comfortable reporting, people who have a, you know, established and reasonable apprehension of interacting with law enforcement, they're not going to report. So there's a lot of barriers to people reporting. So I don't think that we can understand the scope of the problem and how we can classify things as hate crimes or not if we can't even see uh, what people are experiencing out there. So let me just be clear, because that number, that 3,800 number that was reported from Stop AAPI Hate from, I believe it was from March 19th, 2020 to February 28th. You think that number is probably much higher? That 3,800 incidents? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So 3,800 was the national number. When I said 32, I meant those were the numbers reported in the state of Georgia. Mm -hmm. So just to be clear that I'm not just saying random numbers. I do think they are vastly underreported. And this has been um, told to us by people in our own communities that you know, things happen, people get attacked, people get pushed down. And we've heard these stories out of New York and San Francisco and L.A. too, that, you know, especially for Asian elders, you know, they, they don't speak English. They don't feel comfortable reporting. People don't want to cause trouble. They're afraid of retribution. Depending on their immigration or documentation status, there's very good reasons for them to not want to enter the system, including maybe even seeking hospital care for, for their injuries. Mm -hmm. So um, just like we see in other types of violence, like, uh, you know, attacks against women, violence against women, sexual assaults. These types of things are underreported for very mm -hmm. good and established reasons. So yeah. that, that was my next question, why you believe so many of these incidents may not be reported. So now as we wrap up, how do you get this message to the community, to your community? And, and what role can others play in getting the message that you need to report these and that your immigration status will not be at issue here? Or, or is, that, is, that a tough, is that a tough task? It is a tough task, just like all big jobs are. But I think what we need to start with is to get more community investment and more community leaders into our um, the places that we live and with the people we represent to develop that trust and develop systems for people to be able to report, right? So we have to first emphasize the importance of reporting at all. We can't fix the problem if we can't measure it, okay? The second thing is that people need to feel that the people they're reporting to are people that care about the issue, right? That they want to fix the problem and that they can speak to. And when I say they can speak to, again, this language barrier is a huge issue. My mm -hmm. district has an extremely diverse um, community and we have community health partners with foreign language tra um, translation in 17 languages. Can you imagine wow. 17 different languages, right? Yeah. So this is the level of outreach we're going to need, especially for reaching a diverse community. And these are the things we need to invest in. Democratic State Senator Michelle Al, thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. I, I really appreciate you taking the time. I know you've been inundated with a lot of media requests, but we appreciate you. I appreciate you. Thank you so much. 
Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. If you love Atlanta, you can invest in the big picture. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. That's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-T dot E-D-U. And Closer Look continues now here on 90.1 WABE, Atlanta's choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott. The headlines tell a story. Quote, the COVID-19 pandemic may be taking a bigger toll on women's mental health than on men's, new research suggests. Close quote. Also, COVID pandemic tougher on women's mental health, experts say. And this one, mental health problems are prevalent among pregnant women, and it is expected that their mental health will worsen during the COVID-19 pandemic, close quote. We're going to examine all of this and more with our next guest. Joining me, first up, is Atlanta-based licensed professional counselor Joe Vivian, who specializes in trauma-informed therapy, and Kate Ferguson, licensed clinical therapist and owner of Kate Ferguson Associates, and she also primarily specializes in women's therapy issues, including postpartum, addiction, trauma, family, and marriage, and more. And we should note, today's guests are licensed experts, but as always, consult with your primary health and wellness providers, because that's where it all begins. Thank you both for taking time. I really appreciate it. Thank you. It's great to be here. We're, Thank you for having us. Absolutely. And we're going to get to all of this because it's so important. But I, I do want to begin just with giving you both an opportunity to reflect on uh, these horrific crimes, of course, that occurred here in Atlanta and, and Cherokee County, the killing of eight, six women of Asian descent. Um, and and Miss Vivian, I'll start with you. Feel free to call me Joe. And I'll tell you, it was just heart wrenching um, listening to the news the other night and recognizing that once again, um, people in general, women specifically, and sadly enough to say, um, Asian Americans have been singled out. This has been an extraordinary year for uh, hate, violence, um, death and loss. And to go into 2021 with this mass shooting um, did something to me so I could imagine how the rest of our country is feeling right now. It points to a greater need in our country. Uh, there is need for reconciliation, but more importantly, there is need for education. It is the ignorance of people, I do believe, that leads to such acts uh, that are horrendous and cre- create great scars in our country and reminds us it's time to heal. Ms. Ferguson, what about you, your thoughts? Yes, I mean, um, and please call me Kate as well. Um, I really echo a lot of what Joe said. It's just, uh, and I know as a clinician, when I saw the news, I knew that clients were going to experience it as another blow, another trauma, another wound. Um, And and people are tired, you know, and they want to know what to do and they want to know, can things get better? Um, And these, these, these mass shootings, these, these things that come up, you know, they just raise those questions again and again. Um, you know, in the segment right before this one, and, and I had a sec- interview with uh, Georgia State Senator Michelle Isle, and I asked how she was doing in all of this. And I want to get you all's thoughts to weigh in on people who want to reach out, who want to do something. What kind of guidance can you give them in terms of when something like this happens? And you have a neighbor of Asian American or Pacific Islander descent, or, you know, or even if you have the black neighbor last year, folks were saying, how can I help? What can I do? And, and I'll be honest, you get varied opinions about what you should not ask and what you should ask. Um, Kate, I'll stay with, stay with you. What can someone do to offer that support to members of this community right now? Yeah, you know, it's I love that you raised the point that, um, you know, there's so many different opinions and things like like that about what people need and what people want. So that points to listening. You know, um, if you have somebody in your community, in your life, I, I do think it's appropriate to reach out to acknowledge what's happening. Um, and then, you know, there are uh 
there's a great organization in Atlanta called Be the Bridge, and they do a ton of work around, mm-hmm. you know, you know, um, whiteness 101, how to build bridge, racial racial reconciliation, and they have great materials mm-hmm. um, that I've been directing people to this whole year. Um, so, mm-hmm. all right, Be the Bridge, uh, Joe. What, what about you? Your thoughts on being an ally? I'm right there with. I'm right there with Kate. Listening is our greatest tool, um, followed by empathy. You know, quite often we get uncomfortable with what's uncomfortable, and so we do nothing. But at this time, we have to um, step out of our comfort zone and reach out to those who are hurting. As a nation, we do not do a very good job with cultural competency. Uh, We know who we are. Um, And in most cases, we might definitely understand the dominant race, but we don't understand anyone else's race or ethnicity. And so being able to listen is extremely important. Um, Whomever you reach out to is the expert of their life. They know what they need at this time. They know what's important, what is important to them. And just simply asking, what can I do? How can I help? Literally does build that bridge. And in most cases, people will cross it and tell you how you can be impactful the reality is the fact that you even asked uh, creates hope. Um, it demonstrates love and it helps foster healing. Mm-hmm. And from that, I want to move into what we're going to discuss today, which is mental health and particularly for women, especially for women this last year during the pandemic. And I read somewhere, it was from uh, Dr. Shauna Springer, where she said mental health impact in terms of depression and anxiety was so much greater for women than for men. And the suicide rates are up disproportionately for women. Joe, obviously that is that statement is not lost on you. No, it most certainly is not. Um, you know, beginning uh, at the um, onset of the pandemic, my phone started ringing and it didn't stop until I could not take a new client. And disproportionately, I've always seen women, but the numbers have increased. Um, We talk about depression and anxiety, and those tend to be the cornerstones for mental health. In most cases, most mental health uh, disorders have some semblance of that. But the fact that suicide has gone up is truly um, an indicator of what's happening in our culture right now. And it's not just our culture, it's the world. I, I kind of want to echo that because we we think small, we think America and America only, but this pandemic is a it's worldwide and women are being impacted in every single solitary country that's been impacted by uh, the pandemic. The other thing we don't talk about is the increase in um, substance use and abuse. Um, anytime anyone is feeling hurt, the first thing we want to do is self-soothe. And if you don't have the skills to do it, you go to what has always worked, alcohol, drugs, food. Mm -hmm. Uh, Let's talk about sex and anything else that makes you feel good for a moment, but it is just a moment. And so then you're still left with yourself, which then leads to things like anxiety, depression and suicide. And us being aware that this is happening disproportionately with women is a stepping stone to reducing these numbers. Kate, like Joe, did you see an increase too in, in women and you primarily folk, you know, your, your, your therapies with women. Did you see this increase as well in your practice? Oh yes, absolutely. Um, really very similar to Joe's experience, uh, just an increase in calls, an increase in the level of emergency calls an increase in referrals for psychiatric help, medical intervention, Um, And I love that we're touching on um, substance use, the increase in, you know, there's this mommy wine culture and this idea, you know, I work with a lot of mothers and, oh, I'm surviving with my wine. I'm missing that. And, you know, alcohol is a neurotoxin. Alcohol throws fire on our anxiety. And this is another way in my mind that women are actually being undermined by culture. You know, this will make you feel better. And it makes it worse. Um, and so, yeah, I've seen that too. You know, a lot more people being like, "Do I? Am I an alcoholic? Do I drink too much? I don't know if this is okay." <laughs> yeah. That conversation daily. <laughs> and I've already gotten some emails, and of course, I will not reveal folks' names. But here's one that says, "Rose, I am at my end. Where do I begin? I I don't know where." Dear Rose, I am at my end. Where do I begin? And that's it. So and I don't know where beginning is. Obviously, we y'all can't diagnose, but that in itself with this whole year and 
coupled with the fact that nearly three, and my numbers may be off here, nearly three million women have not returned to the workforce in this pandemic. So I think that in itself is when you talk about the stress and anxiety, Kate, I'll let you take it from here. Sure. Employment issues, unemployment issues. That also, I, I imagine, I know that has to be a factor in all this as well. Oh, absolutely. And just a comment on on the person who who wrote in to you. You know, when I hear that, my therapist bell goes off of if that person is really in crisis, you know, they need to uh, get emergency care. You know, mm-hmm. if if that's sort of where their mind is. But in terms of you know where do we begin and what's going on. Um, you know, an element I think of women not of of leaving the workforce or being laid off is that this pandemic introduced or shined a flashlight on the imbalance of unpaid work in the home, mm-hmm. of of um, unsupportive work environments, um, the mental load of women, and uh, as that goes on, I am hearing women say like you're the person who wrote in, I can't take it anymore. I, I am John. I'm at the end of my rope. And um, assuming they're not talking about harming themselves, mm-hmm. that is when you need to call for a therapeutic assessment, join an online support group, um, call a number. It, it's time. And we should note the individual just sent me another email saying, I'm not there yet. I'm just tired. And this is stress, basically. In, in all caps, yeah. stress. Joe, what do you want to add to that? Well, first of all, it takes strength to reach out for help. Mm-hmm. And so I applaud the individual who sent the email. Just being able to say, I need help is so powerful, especially for women um, and even more so for women of color. Uh, we've been taught to John Henry. You know, you just pull yourself up by the bootstraps and you keep going. You don't have time uh, to take care of yourself. You don't have time to be tired you don't have time to to whine, complain, or cry. In actuality, you have time to, and you don't have time not to. Mm-hmm. Um, because if you don't take care of yourself, then you're no good to anyone else. It's the airplane syndrome that we all know. They tell you at every flight that if the airbags drop from the ceiling, that you should first put it on yourself before you put it on anyone else. And women tend not to do that in our personal lives. We are usually primarily the caregivers, either of our children, of our our aging parents, our siblings, um, family members, and in a lot of cases, the loved ones who live with us. Um, I'm trying not to mention a particular gender, but Mm -hmm. I think you guys can figure (laughs) that out. (laughs) So we do a lot, we carry a lot. And as a result, prior to the pandemic, we were um, experiencing stress. We average probably 6.5 hours of sleep every night. That's women. Mm-hmm. Kate, I love what you said about the, the, the women in our drinking of our wine. And this is our way to relax. In actuality, wine is also a stimulant. So quite often you go to sleep thinking that you're going to sleep and you don't. It interferes mm-hmm. with your sleep. We have less information in our minds, although there's more information in the world about how to care for ourselves. And the one thing we cling to is I have to. Mm -hmm. And I would say to all women, no, you don't. What you have to do is stop. Listen to the rhythm of your life and your body and pay attention to what it is telling you because the body keeps the score. It most certainly does. And if we will listen to our bodies, we'll see the signs of stress coming on, anxiety increasing, depression weighing us down. And that's the time that intervention is so important. Um, I know I've said a lot, but I I wanna add one more thing to this, Rose, if I may. Mm -hmm. Women are very relational. Uh, We always have been. Even if you're an introvert, you find those people that you can be relational with. And with the pandemic, we have lost community to a large degree. Mm -hmm. And as a result the isolation feeling has adversely affected women more so than it has affected men. And we've got to learn how to recreate community inside of this pandemic so that feeling of being alone, that touch starvation that we go through, does not exacerbate our mental health. If you just join us, I'm joined by Atlanta-based licensed professional counselor Joe Vivian and Kate Ferguson, licensed clinical therapist. And we're talking about resources for, men, for mental, mental health resources for women during this pandemic. Um, Kate, 
And then, Joel, you can follow up. Is there a self-assessment that one that we as women can do? I know you, you talked about a lot of things, but could there be signs that maybe we are experiencing some type of stress and anxiety? You may not even know it sure. because, as Joel pointed out, sometimes it's just, well, this is just the way it is as a black woman, as a, a woman of Asian descent, as a whatever have you. So how do mm-hmm. we begin to do this self-assessment? And again, we know that we want everyone to consult with their own primary sure. health and wellness, but through your lens. Kate, you go first. Yes. I'm so glad you you asked this question and it all relates to what we're touching on here is, is women, we are going to, we're going to be tired and we are going to be exhausted and we're still going to parent. We're still going to get to work. We're still going to keep the house. We go, right? We go beyond uh, our energy level. And then we get into this burnout and all of these things. And so I don't know if there's an assessment necessarily for burnout. But what I can say is if you are feeling uh, rage, if you are having sleep issues, if you've got decision fatigue, you you can't, you don't know, do I buy milk? Do I buy soy milk? Do I, da, 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 you know, um, if your resentment talking about those other people we might live with, um, <laughs> you know, that less emotional flexibility. And we're not picking on the fellas or other no, spouses. No. But just, you know, <laughs> y'all get out of hand sometimes. I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's right. Just kidding, fellas. It's all love. Right. It's, it's all, all love. love. Go ahead, Kate. It's all love. Um, but you know, if you're, if you, if, if that list is resonating, you're in the red zone, Mm -hmm. you know, if I, if I, if you hear me saying, you know, you're done, but you still wake up and take care of those babies and get your job done. And then it's 10 PM and you're doing all the dishes in the house, you know? Um, so I don't know that there's an assessment for it, but Mm -hmm. it's sort of like you spot it, you got it. If this list is here, (laughs) You you might see yourself in it. Right. Um, yeah. Joe, what do you want to add yeah. to that list? Kate, you were very thorough with it, and she, she's so right. She's spot on. A couple of other things that I always assess for when I'm trying to determine if someone is dealing with um, issues of anxiety, racing thoughts, that's the biggest one where it's one thought after another thought after another thought, and it kind of feels like you can't turn your brain off. Um, irritability. You're snapping all the time at your kids, at your, your your loved ones, your coworkers. And the one that I always tell people to watch out for is snapping at yourself. What is your internal dialogue? Mm-hmm. What are the words that you're using to describe yourself right now? If you're saying things like, um, I'm so stupid, I, I just can't get anything right. You know, languaging like that is pointing to a greater issue. Um, we already talked about sleep disturbance. That's so important. But mm-hmm. the other one is overeating under eating. And then lastly, losing interest in the things that you used to enjoy. Um, A lot of what we said points not only to anxiety, but points to depression. Mm -hmm. They tend to be kissing cousins. They they run together quite often. Mm -hmm. And so if you see that symptomology along with sweaty palms, uh, palpitations in your heart, um, any of those type things, it's, it's a sign that you need to do more. Um, of course, as therapists, we're going to recommend uh, contacting a professional. But hear me when I say if you talk to uh, your spiritual uh, guidance, that helps, too. Um, if you feel like you need to talk to your primary caregiver, that's also a good source. And you'd be surprised if you're not wanting to go see a professional, just talking with a friend and hearing what they have to say can point you in the right direction. And I got to tell you, and I'm not going to embarrass her about saying her name live on radio, but I have a good friend who sent me a text this early this morning said, just checking on you. Mm-hmm. That just meant the world to me. And then said she was going to bring yeah. me lunch. So, <laughs> And <laughs> offered plan. to bring lunch from my <laughs> producer, Grace. Can we end this conversation yeah. talking about the importance of checking in on one another? And, and, and I'll stay with you, Joe, and then I'll end with Kate. Oh, wow. You just hit on something there, Rose. It's so powerful. And again, that goes back to what I said earlier, is that women need community, and that's a part of community. Um, I have a dear friend who just lost her husband, and I was literally leaving another service of an older friend who lost her husband um, yesterday, and it was on my heart to call her. And she owns a school. Um, I think it's K through five right now. And called her and she's at school and I can tell she wasn't well. 
And after we talked, her last words to me were, thank you. I am so grateful that you called me. I needed that at that moment I was going to a dark hole. Mm -hmm. And like you, I've received that same phone call when I've been going through something. Um, One of the things that I do is I literally write down five names every week that I try to reach out and make a contact with either a phone call, a text, um, hit them up on Facebook or Instagram. In some kind of way, I'm connecting with at least five people every Mm -hmm. week. And I have to be purposeful and intentional about it because life is happening. Mm -hmm. And so I encourage people to reach out, touch a neighbor, a family member, a colleague. It doesn't matter. One thing I know for sure is that love never fails. Okay. Kate, I'll let you finish up and how we can check in on one another. Yes. I mean, I think everything that Joe said, reaching out, um, some of us have in our burnout, let relationships lapse, make that first phone call and a message sort of, especially to, to ourselves when we're trying to be friends with ourselves and to our women friends, when we reach out is everybody feels like they're falling short. Everybody feels like they're messing up. All this is going on. And call a friend and say, you know what? You're doing the best you can according to the energy you have today. You are not a machine. You are not a machine. Stay in this day, do the best you can. And then we will, tomorrow's a new day. Like that's, that's the message. Just, I think. And just got a text from my old neighbor, Chris saying, how are you? Thank you, Chris. I appreciate that. Kate Ferguson, (laughs) licensed clinical therapist, (laughs) Joe Vivian, Atlanta-based licensed professional counselor. Thank you both for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Good conversation. I have a feeling we'll have to revisit this as well. Thank you both. Thank you so much. Thank you for having us. That's it for this edition of Closer Look, which is produced by Grace Walker and LaShawn Hudson. Our engineer is Kevin Rinker. If you missed any of today's program, it's always online at wabe.org slash Closer Look. And of course, Closer Look weeknights at 8. And then we have our podcast. So subscribe wherever you like. Stay tuned to 90.1 WABE, Atlanta's choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Local, state, national politics. WABE and NPR have the coverage you need. I'm Jim Burris, host of WABE's All Things Considered. Whether it's on the air at 90.1, streaming online, or connecting through our mobile app, WABE keeps you on top of election 2024 in what's sure to be a pivotal year in politics. And for candidates and ballot information, visit our election hub at wabe.org election 2024.